But I would love an old 1950s style commercial where they're pitching the hunters. Ah, yes, a boy free tomorrow can be yours today. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a grown man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but I'm reading them for the very first time as an adult because I'm on a quest to determine if this is a book series that we as a society have been sleeping on. But I'm not on this quest alone. I am joined by someone that is a big old fan of the Percy Jackson series. They're the host of the new podcast, You Are What You Love, and the creator of the not-as-new podcast, That Vampire Show. It's Marissa Tandon. Marissa, how's it going? Good. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's been a day, two days since we last spoke when we recorded my appearance on You Are What You Love. So fun stuff. (laughs) Maybe 24 hours. Yeah, I feel like. (laughs) (laughs) Been a quick turnaround. But the reason that is a quick turnaround is we talked about Percy Jackson and it was very apparent that we got to get you on the show. And I am very excited to have you on the show. We're going to be talking about all of Chapter 6 and as much of Chapter 7 as we can get into of The Titan's Curse. But before we get into that, what is your history with the Percy Jackson books? How'd you come about them, etc.? I had to look it up last night to make sure I wasn't misremembering, but the first book came out four days after my 11th birthday. Okay. And I think Percy's 12 in the first one as well. Yes. So I was reading everything I could get my hands on at the time. They were slightly under my reading level. But I was living in a very, very, very small town in Florida. And so I had no friends. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like the kid who read in the lunchroom. That was I always had a book in my hand. I was reading a lot, like way more than a normal child was reading at that time. So my dad would buy me a book. And then the same day I would have already finished the book. And he was just like, you really need to invest in a library card because this is just unsustainable. But for my birthday every year, I would get like a Borders gift card throwback. And I went probably that same shopping trip for my birthday and the first one was out and I read it and I was obsessed with it instantly. And I pretty much grew up with them pretty much the same age after each book, I think, or close to whatever Percy's age was at the time. Mm -hmm. And I moved back to LA and I made my first friends because of Percy Jackson. There you go. Look, it comes full circle, but the opposite. Full semicircle, I guess, where you went from no friends, so you resorted to Percy Jackson, and then it turned into friends because of Percy Jackson. Look at you go. Yeah, so there we go. It's, you know, very nice. I'm glad you have such a rich history with the books, and I think we should just keep things going along because these chapters are starting to get spicy, and I want to cover as much as we can in this episode, so shall we? We shall. Amazing. So chapter six is called An Old Dead Friend Comes to Visit, where we last left our heroes. Percy just had a very, very bad dream, a big old nightmare where Annabeth was in lots of trouble because Luke did some evil trickery stuff. Hate Luke. All my homies hate Luke. I need Annabeth to be okay. I'm very worried. Percy's very worried. He knows that things are not great. But before we get into chapter six, I have to lay out my prediction because I try to guess what's happening in the chapter just based on the title alone. And an old dead friend comes to visit. I was just thinking, hmm, maybe it's Ares Mm. because he's technically dead, quote unquote. Okay. And my guess there initially without reading a page was that. Or maybe it's some sort of misdirect where it's a friend of someone else. Like maybe it's Chiron's old compatriot that is long dead and he doesn't expect them to be here. But we'll see that both of those guesses are not correct. (laughs) So Percy tells Grover about his Annabeth-related dream as they watch satyrs chase nymphs with the promise of kisses. Narrator Percy says, Usually the nymph would let the satyr get up a full head of steam, then she'd turn into a snow-covered tree, and the poor satyr would slam into it headfirst and get a pile of snow dumped on him. Which is a fun visual. (laughs) Devastating for sure. Cannot wait for the show to do this in season three. Oh, yes. That's the other thing I keep forgetting is we're getting a whole TV show after... I assume you haven't seen the movies because there are spoilers in them, but yes, the TV show will be done right in my heart of hearts. I feel like it has to be because Rick's actually involved, so I'm looking forward to it actually taking place. And I am looking forward to watching these very bad movies once I finish the first <laughs> five books. 
Grover is confused by the dream as well, just like Percy, but he reveals that Zoe also may have had a dream the same night because at 3 a.m. she stormed into the big house demanding to talk to Chiron, and she also looked a little bit spooked. Percy asks Grover how he knows this, and Grover says that he was camped out of the Artemis cabin just to be close to them, and Percy calls him a stalker with hooves, which I mean, yeah, that's not a good look. It certainly could be worse, but eh. Slightly gross stuff from Grover, Grossfer, if you will. Grossfer, I think, is, uh, it's bold, but I, I would agree with it, yeah. I do think uh, childhood books around this time had a, a level of stalkerness being okay. Yes. <laughs> as evidenced by Twilight and every other YA book that happened. Just, oh, I just want to be close. Okay. Yeah, it definitely, and I think this is certainly a product of the times where being called a stalker in the year 2007, yeah. very different from now when it's come to light that people do way scarier, way worse things than we were ever talking about casually. Because <laughs> yes, a stalker back then was, oh, you slept outside the cabin, which isn't wonderful, but isn't the worst. Now it's more of, oh, you hacked into my Facebook account to figure out where my mom lives. And now like, it's <laughs> it, things can be really, really scary. So I feel like that's one of those, as things go on and people get better at being awful, we yeah. kind of change our perspective. The better you can get at potentially doing something terrible. The, sure. Yes. The word gets worse, I guess. Oh my God. People are too good at being bad. People need to be worse at being awful. Let's all just be nice. Yeah, I think if people could just be worse at crime, then we could go back to calling people stalkers and that would make life just so much better. It would just be nice. I don't know. Stuff gets scary. <laughs> it gets scary. And I don't envy anyone that has been through weird situations. Thankfully, everyone's been super chill for me. But at the same time, anytime I post pictures from my apartment view, I make sure street signs aren't there because you never know. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't even think about that. I've, I Street signs are so visible from New York and mm -hmm. L.A. It's Quite not, but the one that killed me was in high school. I don't know if you had to do this, but we did like a cyber safety class. Mm. It was part of our internet class, I think. Back then, it was it felt like the internet was so new and they had to tell you stranger danger, but it was a very different type. Yeah. And you just learn so much about what you're putting out on the internet and you have to be, just be way safer than you thought. So I think at that point... Something about sleeping outside of a cabin didn't feel that scary compared sure. to what you could do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wish I had that class. I just had to learn stuff on my own slash sometimes the hard way. But anyway, we continue <laughs> to happier <laughs> things, I guess. Now, apparently Argus is back, which I think is cool. He was kind of gone for a little bit. So mm. Argus, the bodyguard, is back in the mix. He wouldn't let Zoe into the big house. And she got upset. And Grover notes that when she does get upset, more of the these and thys and the old school talking come into play. So she was spitting her old school linguistics. She was upset because she felt that Artemis was in trouble. And then apparently she called Argus a boiled brain lout. And Grover notes, I think that's a bad thing, which is <laughs> oh, such a good note. Oh, there was a level of almost educating you to make sure you knew that the weird term was, in fact, an insult. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just for the readers out there that don't know what a lout is. I don't think I even know what a lout is. I know what a louse is because I did read Crime and Punishment and they say that a lot. But a lout apparently, according to Google, is an uncouth, an aggressive man or boy. The Percy Jackson books are one of the first books that made me Google words to figure out what they meant as a kid. Score one for education, I suppose. There we go. Especially when your book is in the age of Googling words. Yeah. Why not throw some fun ones in there? Vocabulary. Hooray. Now, Percy asks how Artemis could be in trouble. And then this exchange takes place. Grover says, I, well, finally, Chiron came out in his pajamas and his horse tail and curlers. And, and Percy goes, he wears curlers in his tail? <laughs> and narrator Percy then notes that Grover covered his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. So, so good. What a beautiful image. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Grover goes on to say that Zoe wanted to leave camp immediately, but Chiron refused, saying that the hunters must stay unless given direct orders from Artemis. But Zoe points out, how can that be possible if Artemis is lost? And Grover interprets that to mean that Artemis is either taken or kidnapped. And Percy's absolutely flummoxed, asking how kidnapping a goddess could even be possible. And Grover says that it is possible. And he mentions that it did happen to Persephone. But Percy goes, but she was like the goddess of flowers in italics. <laughs> and God, these books are so good. These books are so good. Imagine not liking these books. What an exchange. It's so funny because like what a response to be like, oh, flowers. Of course she got kidnapped. What? <laughs> 
Flowers are very cool. Yeah. I'm a big flower guy. They're hard to keep alive if you have a plant that blooms flowers. But also, especially if you live in New York, you can just swing by a bodega and pick up a bouquet of flowers for your loved one. I do it for my wife. goes a long way. Yeah. Can I confess something to you, actually, though? Sure. I am hyper allergic to most flowers. Oh, So no. it's like actually really rude if you bring me... <laughs> What about succulents? Can you receive a succulent? I can receive a succulent. Amazing. As long as it doesn't bloom. Okay. It depends on the type. Yeah. I remember I wasn't big in on the whole sending flowers thing because previously, before I lived in New York, that was an expensive endeavor. Now you mm. can just swing by a bodega and it's always $10 or less. Why would you go to any other flower store? But the first time I tried to send Kelly some flowers, she was having a tough day at her new job and we were long distance. She was in New York. I was in Seattle. So I found the closest flower shop near her office and they did delivery. So I had them sent over and I didn't know that flowers sometimes mean things like there's particular (laughs) colors and types for certain situations. So I got her a small bouquet of white roses, which I just thought looked pretty. And apparently that's like sympathy flowers. Like it's the sorry for your loss Hallmark card equivalent to flowers. And thankfully, Kelly knew that but didn't care and knew that I wasn't picking that. She just thought, oh, these look pretty. I bet that's why I might pick them. Thank you for the flowers. So yeah, just my first ever attempt at that. Didn't really nail (laughs) it. It didn't go well. But now I just swing by the bodega and I just pick whichever ones look the funkiest. And I usually end up picking just some weird, not traditional flowers. And according to Kelly, that goes a long way. So that's cool because I don't pick... I don't know, your Times New Roman of flowers, I guess. Your big courier new. You're getting wild. Yeah, I'm getting funky in the mix. So Grover is offended and corrects him by saying that, no, she was the goddess of springtime. But Percy thinks, regardless, Artemis seems way too powerful to be kidnapped. And he thinks that the only person capable would be Kronos. But he just can't believe that Kronos would be that powerful already. Then we get a little paragraph that kind of recaps how Kronos fits into book one and book two, but we've all read them, so that's okay. And it ends with, quote, Kronos could influence people with dreams and trick them, but I didn't see how he could physically overcome Artemis if he was still like a pile of evil bark mulch. (laughs) Narrator Percy, always with the bangers, always out here killing it. Oh, the one-liners in this every time. So choice. Grover doesn't think that Kronos is back because the gods would be more worried, but he does think that it's interesting that Zoe had a nightmare the same night as Percy, and both Percy and Grover agree that there's probably some sort of connection there. A satyr then is about to kiss a nymph who rapidly turns into a tree, and he slams into it at full speed, and Grover goes, ah, love. (laughs) I just love that anytime you have a couple pages or paragraphs where nothing funny happens, Rick makes sure to sprinkle in some comedy so we're having fun, but it doesn't happen in the crappy MCU movie way where it's immediately after a heartfelt moment. It's more of just, hey, we haven't laughed in a couple pages. Let's throw a joke in there. I appreciate that that's in the mix. But if there is a serious moment or if there is a heartfelt moment or if there's any sort of sad moment, it's not immediately, well, we must undercut this with a joke. This is a Marvel movie. Yeah, I love that he lets it breathe. There's less of that feeling of, oh, it's a boy protagonist dealing with something heartfelt and emotional. So let's make sure we make that comfortable really fast it's here's this moment it's heartfelt it's or it's intense and you can sit in it and then just so you know i'm also funny Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. percy is determined to talk to zoe about her dream but grover warns that before he does he should check out this brochure because the hunters may have been scouting them hence they are showing up out of nowhere and the brochure reads quote a wise choice for your future and inside there's pictures of young maidens doing all sorts of hunter related activities like chasing monsters and shooting bow and arrows and then there are some captions that say things such as health benefits immortality and what it means for you and also a boy free tomorrow <laughs> which i know this is a brochure but i would love an old 1950 style commercial where they're pitching the hunters ah yes you can have your boy free future <laughs> a boy free tomorrow can be yours today <laughs> I remember thinking they were so cool at the time that I read these because this one came out in 2007 Mm -hmm. and I had just started at an all-girls school. Mm. And so I was like, yeah, a boy free tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because I went to an all-boys high school because I went to high school in Texas. But the problem was that I moved to Texas right after eighth grade. So I didn't know any of the girls at the all-girls schools, Mm. but I would meet them at school dances when they would come to our school at the beginning of the year for the dance. But then I would meet girls there. And this happened both freshman year and sophomore year. Met a girl at a dance, started dating her, 
then met her friends at the school. But then when we broke up, all of her friends understandably took her side. So then I would lose all of my girl friends along with my girlfriend. And then I'd be back to square one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's all right. I I, I was fine in high school. I was just very not distracted. (laughs) (laughs) You did straight A's. I mean, yes, I was a huge nerd. (laughs) <laughs> One other thing I want to say about the brochure is that it mentions immortality, and a couple people reached out to me because in a previous episode, I was confused because Artemis and the Hunters are talking about immortality, and they say that you have it unless you fall in battle, and I thought, that's not immortality, but some folks have let me know that I am confusing that with invincibility, which is a different thing, and then apparently, and I'll have to talk with Dr. Moya about this in the Greek mythology episode after we finish the book, because some people were saying that what they actually meant was agelessness, which I don't know if that means the hunters don't age at all, or if they're trying to say the immortality is you can't die from old age. So I'm interested to see specifically with the hunters, what the Greek myths say about their immortality and how it exactly works. So just wanted to clarify because some folks were helpful in making me less confused about the situation. Now, the concerning thing about this brochure is that it was in Annabeth's backpack, and Percy doesn't get it at first, which, Percy, come on, man. You're better than this. You can put this together. It's not that hard. Sweet, sweet boy. But Grover has to say that perhaps Annabeth was considering joining, and narrator Percy says, quote, I'd like to say I took the news well. Line break. The truth was, I wanted to strangle the hunters of Artemis one eternal maiden at a time. (laughs) There's a line that aged well. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... Funny anger, we get it. Percy clearly now has a soft spot for Annabeth, and anyone interfering with her in any way, whether it's truly evil or getting her to not want to date him, just really flips on the Percy rage switch. And it's very funny. This is true love. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yep. The rest of Percy's day is just ruined because he's worrying about Annabeth. Then he accidentally pierces an Ares camper's pants at javelin practice. He then goes to the Pegasus stables, but he sees Selina Beauregard arguing with a hunter, so he just steers clear. So then he goes to sit in the empty chariot race grandstands and sulks because he's a moody teenager, and that's what you do. (laughs) You post up on the bleachers and you get sad about stuff. He then sees Chiron conducting archery practice, and he thinks that Chiron would be the best person to talk to, but he's worried that Chiron wouldn't give Percy the full story in order to protect him, classic Chiron, giving Chiron answers. But then he sees Argus and Mr. D feeding the baby dragon that protects the fleece at the top of the hill, and he realizes, ooh, nobody's at the big house, so there is someone or something that I could talk to. So immediately I realized, ah, He's going to talk to the Oracle. And that is exactly what happens. (laughs) He sprints into the big house. He goes up the stairs to the Oracle. Something I forgot that narrator Percy pointed out is that she's wearing a tie-dye dress. Totally forgot that. What a weird dissonance between being an old, withering mummy and then having a bright, vibrant, fun tie-dye dress. Yeah, she's just a little silly, you know? She's in a silly, goofy mood. The vibes are strong. I appreciate a loud outfit. Let's go. So he waits for the green mist to emit, but nothing happens. So Percy, in the classic immortal words that awaken the oracle, says, Hi, uh, what's up? Just like Zeus used to say. <laughs> <laughs> Percy immediately regrets asking this, knowing that asking the Oracle what's up is nonsensical. But Percy then asks the Oracle, how can I save Annabeth? But he gets no answer. And narrator Percy says, I was getting stonewalled by a corpse. (laughs) Quality. He then mutters that he's going to figure it out himself as he leaves. Really moody teen stuff going on. Hopefully it doesn't get too angsty. So far, this is just the appropriate level of moody angst. Yeah, he's big grump right now. Yeah. yeah, a little grumpy, but not detrimental, not lashing out at his friends. Yes. Yet. <laughs> my lips are sealed. Well, my eyes have already seen it because <laughs> I've read <laughs> chapter six and seven. <laughs> on his way out, he bumps into a table full of souvenirs. And on this table is the dragon claw that scarred Luke. There is a broken sword hilt that is labeled, quote, this broke and Leroy got killed 1999. I got to figure out what's going on here. Is this a Greek thing? Does Uncle Rick just know some dude named Leroy? What's going on with the year 1999? I need to know exactly what's happening. This is such an interesting sprinkle to sprinkle in. You know, I think it's just a aside as far as I remember. It's just flavor text? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, there could be a whole 
new book series about Leroy, and I would love to. I'm sure I'm revealing that I forgot something very serious about this book series, but I don't think so. (laughs) I will just add this to the very long list of very important questions I will ask Rick Riordan if he's ever on the pod. Who's Leroy? What's going on? <laughs> Why did you kill him just off to the side? Yeah, we don't. We didn't even meet him, and he's already established his dead, and his sword broke. <laughs> Poor old Leroy. Yeah, hope he's. I was gonna say I hope he's okay, but he's not. He's <laughs> dead. In 1999, he didn't even get to experience Y2K. Oh, tragic. He never listened to Will Smith's Willennium, or maybe he did if it was late enough in 1999. Willennium. I don't think I've listened to Willennium. So Leroy and I are. On par, I suppose. How old are you? I'm 28. I'm not that much younger than you. I guess it was a a long two years. Will Smith's Willennium, where they remixed Rock the Casbah, and then it was about the new year? What? And Will Smith says, get ready for the new millennium. Excuse me, Willennium? Uh, you see... <laughs> Wow. It does not compare to Big Willie style. Yeah, well, yeah. Getting jiggy with it, Big Willie. I know everything else. That one is a, a new one to me. Not many bangers off of Willennium. Okay. But I do think some of the movie songs might have been on there. I don't know if Wild Wild West was on the mix. I'm going to pull okay. up the Willennium track <laughs> listing. This is very important. <laughs> but I spent many car rides listening to Willennium on my Walkman. Will 2K, that is the New Year's song that he did. Oh, I see. I'm coming, Will 2K, freaking it, which is this the song I'm thinking it is? I think freaking it is like a nice guy diss rap. Yes, freaking it is Will Smith's diss track where he kind of gets mad at people for him being a clean rapper. Oh. It's awful. The beat is good. The lyrics are absolutely atrocious, one of which does say, You call me soft, more like Microsoft, which I guess is to brag that he's good with technology or owns technology, it's horrible. It's truly bad, but it is a bop if you turn off your brain and you don't listen to the lyrics. I mean, I'll have to listen, obviously, but now I'm wondering if that's what the Eminem song is referencing when he says Will Smith don't have to cuss in his raps to sell records. Yeah, I think that's just the general thing because after Will Smith got big, some rappers made fun of Will for it, especially because pre-Fresh Prince of Bel-Air stuff, when Will Smith was just the Fresh Prince with DJ Jazzy Jeff, he used to curse more and stuff. Is it parents just don't understand, which is actually, this is the Will Smith podcast now. Will (laughs) Smith song where he drives with an underage girl. What? So it's in a verse of parents just don't understand, which is a very well-known song. But unfortunately, one of the verses, the whole thing is about Will Smith taking out a 16-year-old girl for a night on the town. Oh. And he was not 16 years old. Yikes. I mean, I've heard that song a thousand times and never connected those dots. You've heard the radio edit. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know there was a non-radio edit of that song. Hello, this is the very rare Mike from the future coming in to make sure a correction gets made immediately. Because if I'm going to talk about hip hop on the podcast, I'm going to do it correctly. The song is still creepy, but in a different way than I remembered. 16 is the age of someone in the song. That's actually Will Smith. The girl is 12. So, yep, that's fun. Okay, back to the podcast. Hooray! I learned this the hard way when my friend did it at karaoke, and (gasps) me and my table of friends were confused because we could read the lyrics. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Willennium, (gasps) not a great album. The 14th song out of 15 is Wild Wild West album version, which (laughs) is iconic and great and perfect, and a very good song to do at karaoke. Oh, yes. (laughs) And now we can end the Will Smith cast. (laughs) July 2022 to July 2022. (laughs) I think we've talked about it exactly as much as was necessary. So Right, right, right. And if someone's going to leave me a one-star review for going on a Will Smith tangent, come on. It's Will Smith. I mean, it's Will Smith. Come on. It's Will Smith. (laughs) This is the wild, wild west of podcasting. Uh. So (laughs) Yes, yes, y'all. And now we've done all the ad libs and we can really move on. (laughs) There's another thing on this table, and it's Aphrodite's scarf. And the plaque underneath does credit Percy and Annabeth for retrieving it. And Percy is absolutely stunned because Annabeth took it away from him and said, no love magic for you. And he figured she was just going to throw it away, but she kept it. She held onto it the whole time. And that just makes Percy even more in love with her. So he drops the scarf and he leaves. And then dinner happens. After dinner, Capture the Flag is approaching. And Percy is very determined to kick some hunter booty. Zoe looks very angry. She keeps shooting glances at Chiron like she's above playing this silly game. The hunters all look a little bit upset, and Percy thinks maybe they are scared by the contents of Zoe's dream. She probably told all of them what happened. Percy's team 
for Capture the Flag has Beckendorf, plus two other Hephaestus dudes. Some Ares folks, but notably no Clarice because she's on her secret mission. <laughs> the Stoll brothers and Nico from the Hermes cabin, and then some Aphrodite kids. And Percy finds it odd that the Aphrodite kids would want to join because usually they just stay to the side and they don't get involved. But apparently they are jumping at the opportunity to square off against the hunters. And I was confused about this thinking, hmm, maybe there is some Artemis Aphrodite beef. And then I thought, hmm, maybe it's about love and the fact that the Artemis folk don't really care about that stuff. And for the Aphrodite kids, that's their whole deal. And that is exactly what it is. Selena Beauregard says, quote, I'll show them, quote, love is worthless. I'll pulverize them. <laughs> Nothing like setting a hot girl and a smart girl against each other. Oh, but man, just we don't need to. No woman hate. We don't need to bring each other down. Yeah. Build each other up. <laughs> yeah. Love and hunting. They're both important. <laughs> yeah. Use your powers combined. You can hunt and look hot at the same time. That was the entire premise behind the Hunger Games. <laughs> Everybody hunts. Everybody's hot. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. It <laughs> Hunting might make you hotter. So, <laughs> arguably. Right. I mean, look, I mean, you do a little physical activity. You get a little bit of, like, the glistening sweat stuff. Like, yeah. your muscles are bulging a little bit. You're doing something impressive. I mean, I mean, it might work. I'm not going to fight against it. <laughs> The team begins to strategize. Thalia says that she will take offense and Percy should take defense. And narrator Percy admits to us, oh, I was going to suggest the reverse. This is awkward. And Percy tries to reason with Thalia, saying that, well, since you have a shield, doesn't that make you being in charge of defense make more sense? And Thalia says, ah, I think it's actually better offensively. And also, you have experience with defense, which I at first thought, oh, yeah, that does make sense. But then Percy did remind me and all of us that the last time he was on defense, he was only used as bait. And then he got attacked and then afterwards he got attacked again by a giant hellhound so regardless of how good he is i can understand why percy might not want to be on the defensive <laughs> side of things i don't know i feel maybe it was only kind of a couple things that went wrong mm -hmm. and they were out of his control he could have made it work only a few things went wrong but pretty much everything except for not losing yeah. <laughs> like that was, they did win they won it wasn't so. because of his stunning defense it was because Clarice wanted to kick his butt <laughs> <laughs> Percy says to Thalia yeah no problem but he doesn't mean it and man that's a vibe the number of times I've said no problem when I meant I have lots of problems with this <laughs> oh, astronomical oh it's that uh no worries there were in fact a lot of worries many many worries <laughs> <laughs> so many worries <laughs> Nico then runs up very excitedly with a helmet that is way too big for him and a breastplate that is way too big for him. And Nico asks, do we get to kill the other team? <laughs> Percy goes, well, no. And Nico says, but the hunters are immortal, right? And Percy says, that's only if they don't fall in battle. Besides, and Nico goes, it would be awesome if we just like resurrected as soon as we were killed so we could keep fighting. And, and Percy goes, Nico, this is serious. Real swords. These can hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Their dynamic is so fun. It's such a great big brother, little brother type of situation. And Nico is just so pure and Percy just has to rein him in. But he does worry that he's doing it too much because narrator Percy says, he stared at me a little disappointed and I realized that I just sounded like my mother. Whoa, not a good sign. This is amazing stuff, but also put respect on Sally Jackson's name. Your mom is great. Why is that a bad thing? Come on, Percy. I understand not wanting to sound like a mom, but your mom in particular, top tier mom. Great mom. Great mom. Great, great mom. Percy pats Nico on the shoulder and tells him, it's cool, just follow the team, stay out of Zoe's way, and we'll have a blast. So the setup then begins. But before we can get into the setup, let's take a little bit of a break here for the Titan's Purse, our fun mid-roll break, where we talk about fun things like TNO merch and TNO live shows and more. Hello and welcome to the Titan's Purse and a very special edition of the Titan's Purse. I'm on the road, as you can tell by the audio quality. I'm currently recording this in St. Louis, Missouri. Yes, St. Louis, home of the arch, the national monument that Percy Jackson rode the elevator up and then took the very fast way down by jumping through the blasted hole in it post-echidna battle. I'm very excited to have seen it, and I'm doing my best to become a huge Percy Jackson fan by seeing all of the different locales that are mentioned. I was in Florida last weekend. Now I'm here in St. Louis. Look at me go. I'm, I'm flying back to New York tomorrow. My goodness gracious. Look at me go. Let's talk about stuff. First, at the time of recording this, we have 934 patrons. 934 people. That is fantastic. We are so close to our goal of 1,000 patrons. If we hit 1,000 patrons, Stephen Parra and I will do a Hades, the video game stream for 
for all patrons. You have to be a patron to watch it. So if you want to get in on this awesomeness, head on over to thenewstolympian.com slash Patreon and make it happen. If it happened during the month of August, that would be very nice for Stephen and I's schedules. So just extra incentive if you're on the fence. Join any tier. You get access to this and a whole bunch of other features. It's lots of good stuff. You get access to all the old Potterless stuff too. So even for just five bucks a month, you can get access to a whole bunch of fun stuff, including the Discord. So many fun things. Speaking of Stephen Para, he's the guest for the live show that we're doing on August 24th in New York City, the first ever TNO live show. We're doing it in person and also we're streaming it wherever the internet is sold, which is a lot of places. And if you're listening to this, that means you get the internet. So either if you want to see it in person or if you want to watch the stream of it, which does give you access to a one week replay. So if that particular time or day doesn't work, don't worry. Or if you want to watch it multiple times, don't worry. Either way, go to thenewstolympian.com slash live. That's where you get tickets to that show, as well as the shows that we're doing throughout the year that are going to be half Potterless, half TNO. The one on August 31st in Philadelphia will be streamed. So you can get two wonderful TNO shows on back-to-back weekends. What's that to love? Speaking of things that I love, I love seeing new folks join the team over at thenewstolympian.com slash Patreon, and I want to give a shout out to those new folks. So, shout out to our newest Ultra God tier patron, Liz Cardigan. Shout out to our newest Mega God tier patron, Rachel Williams. Shout out to our newest Super God tier patron, Shalaya Bloomberg. Shout out to our newest God tier patron, Terry Rothfuzz. And shout out to our newest Demi God tier patrons, Calypsoso, Dylan Mason, and Sasha Hatfield. Thank you all so much for your support. May Aries bless you in that whenever you are playing the card game war, you win. Also, I want to thank Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. If you're all caught up on TNO and you're looking for new podcasts to listen to, there's a whole bunch of Multitude podcasts out there. I make a bunch of them, but one of the shows that I don't make that I still think you would enjoy because of the content is Spirits. Spirits is a boozy dive into all things mythological and folklore and urban legendy out there in the world. There's a whole bunch of episodes that cover things like Greek gods and goddesses. There's urban legend episodes where Eric Schneider gets in the mix and it's very fun. There's myth movie night episodes. There's interviews with folks who've written mythology-based books. Lots of fun stuff and you can listen to over 250 episodes of content at spiritspodcast.com or by searching for spirits wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in St. Louis, Missouri, don't be surprised if you hear an ad for Ted Drews. I don't know if you will, but that would be pretty cool. I just had some Ted Drews custard and it was very good. Anyway, once these heads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of the Newest Olympian. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. And we're back, and the teams are setting up. Thalia leads Team Camp Half-Blood through the woods. Percy trips on a shield on the way, which makes him look very cool as co-captain of the team. Certainly a great dynamic is established right here. The team then sets their flag at the top of Zeus's fist, which narrator Percy tells us is a set of boulders in the middle of the West Woods that looks like a fist from a particular angle. And I thought, oh, that's a weird way to spell God's thumb from Louis Sachar's holes. (laughs) Oh, I never made that connection. And I loved holes as well. It's my favorite book. It was the first book I truly actively enjoyed reading besides little smaller books like Matt Christopher sports novels. It was the first book book that I really enjoyed. It was very important to me. And to know that Rick Riordan is just a big plagiarizer. (laughs) I'm so... (laughs) Obviously, I'm kidding. But I thought it was very funny. Two thumb-shaped rocks cannot exist. No, comma. I mean, it is definitely a thing, though. I think that's just a thing that some mountains are called oh, different yeah. body parts there's one in new york i think that's called gertrude's nose that i oh. liked which is pretty fun kind of looks like a witch's nose i guess i would hope gertrude's not a real person it would be really bad if someone named a rock face after you they're like oh yeah you got a big old nose gertrude <laughs> so we named this hike gertrude's nose oh man I mean, we have distinctive rocks in los angeles but i can't think of any that are are named after anyone harshly so Maybe you'll find some. I know that Butte is not the same thing as Butt, and that is a technical name of some sort of 
rock forms, B-U-T-T-E. Yes. The only other thing that this makes me think of is there's a hike that Kelly and I did in Seattle called Gobbler's Knob. And did we really want to do this one because of the name? Yes. But then also we did make sure that it was a good hike and it was a phenomenal hike <laughs> that also had a phenomenal name. Gobbler's Knob. Well, How do you turn do it down? It. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Narrator Percy continues about Zeus's fist, quote, If you look at it from any other side, it looks like a pile of enormous deer droppings. But Chiron wouldn't let us call the place the poop pile. Anyway, <laughs> it was a good place to set the flag. Oh, what a <laughs> so good... good. Love a good poop joke, you know? You need it. And I appreciate that these books have all sorts of humor. There's jokes that maybe only adults will get. There's jokes that maybe only fans of Greek mythology will get. And sometimes you just got your lowbrow text equivalent of slapstick. Who doesn't love a good poop joke? Come on. <laughs> Prizzy clarifies that the reason it's a good place to set the flag is because it's 20 feet up in the air. It's hard to climb. It's visible, so it doesn't violate the rules. And also speaking of rules, the rule where you have to be 10 yards away from the flag on defense isn't really an issue since it's at the top of this pile. So it seems like a good, despite being obvious, place to put the flag. Percy assigns Nico to guard duty with Beckendorf and the Stoles, thinking that this will allow him to be safely out of the way. And my thought was, no way at all. <laughs> if you've mentioned this, he's going to be in some sort of line of fire. And two, I was wondering... But I didn't think it was going to happen. I was wondering, is this also going to be Nico's claiming moment? Is he going to do something to capture the flag? And then we're going to realize who his godly parent is. But it just felt like we've seen this in book one. I didn't think it was going to happen. But I was trying to think of what the title, the dead friend. Maybe we find out that he is a son of Ares and Ares comes back. And then it's an interesting dynamic where if Nico is a son of Ares, then we have most of the campers at the camp not liking Percy, but one who does. And that could be an interesting dynamic. So that was just my thought. But I didn't really think that was going to happen. But I, it was the only thing that came to mind at the time. Yeah. Thalia tells Selena to lead a decoy contingency to the left and to take a big scenic route to draw out as many hunters as possible. And she instructs Selena to take Laurel and Jason, who are good runners. I wonder if these people will come back or if they're just throwaway names. Who's to say? Thalia will then lead the main attack to the right and ideally take the hunters by surprise, grab the flag, and get out of there. Thalia then turns it over to Percy, asking if he has anything to add, but Percy was just thinking about how good that plan sounded and how confident Thalia sounded, so he's a little taken by surprise. I do love that she turned it over to him, and all he says is, we gotta stay sharp on defense, we have smaller numbers for such a big forest, I will be roving, so if you need any help, just yell for me. Thalia warns not to leave your post, but Percy says, well, you can go for a golden opportunity. Thalia disagrees, and Percy tries to pull a unless, and Thalia grabs his arm and shocks him harder <laughs> than a normal static shock kind of thing, and she yells, Percy, and then she apologizes right after because she didn't mean to shock him at all because Percy, as the narrator notes, that it did hurt a little bit. But then she asks if everybody understands, and they all say that they do, and they split up into their groups, and the games begin. So the two attack waves go. Percy climbs to the top of the fist to scout out the situation, and he sees the hunters go to the right, and he thinks, oh, they must have seen Thalia, so they are stopping the flank. But then he also sees that some hunters did go to the left, so he realizes, oh, that means the middle must be wide open. And immediately I just saw the writing on the wall, and I was so... <laughs> upset because I knew what was going to happen and there was nothing I could do and I just wanted to jump through the book and tell Percy not to do what he was about to do because it wasn't going to work but alas oh, here we are you know you got to love a, a hero who doesn't make the right decision every time though <sighs> I mean I guess but also but also it's pretty come on, Percy. yeah please don't do it come on Percy <laughs> So he turns to Beckendorf and asks, can you guys hold the fort? And Beckendorf snorts and says, of course, famous last words. Percy then goes in. He sees the flag and only one guard who isn't looking his way. As he gets closer, he sees that it's Bianca. So he grabs the flag, says sorry, and then while he is running away, he gets caught by a tripwire. Thalia sees all of this take place because she's very close and she asks, what are you doing with doing in italics to truly show how upset she is? Poor girl. I know. She had the plan. This is just hard when you've got co-captains and someone who's been a little bit of a stubborn boy. You know, group projects were never my favorite either, so. You know, it's tough. You got to have everybody with the balances of all that. Yeah. So a smoke bomb arrow then causes Thalia's entire unit to begin coughing profusely. And Thalia reveals to us that they are fart arrows and apparently <laughs> they are unsportsmanlike, but I think they're great. I'm all, I'm very pro fart arrow. <laughs> 
I reread this last night and I had forgotten about that. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. What a brilliant concept. A fart arrow. Mm-hmm. And again, that's something that kids reading this book, they're going to love it. Yeah. Who, lo- who doesn't love a fart joke? Farts are funny. And I will say this on the podcast, I'll let my opinion be known here. We got to stop shaming people for farts. We all <laughs> fart 14 times a day. What are we doing? It's so weird that people are grossed out by it. Yes, it smells bad. We all do it. Literally all of us. It's like a politeness thing to me. Like you can, unless it's slipped out. Okay, fine. You know, you had a rough day, but 99% of the time, you have enough forethought to step out of the room or just at least like take a step to the side. Sure. You know, I try to be very nice about if I feel a fart coming on, walk away. Yeah. One of the earliest times I was with Kelly when we were first dating, we were at my apartment and we were hanging out. And then I just very abruptly ran into the bathroom and then came back and she goes, what was that? And I said, oh, I had to fart. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because the fart barrier is such a big thing to break in a relationship. It was early on, but I apparently am very bold. But I later learned from Kelly that she thought that was the sweetest thing I could have ever done. And that proves why we work and we're married. (laughs) I love that you did let her know, though, because she definitely, or at least most people would spend the rest of the date trying to figure out, and like four nights after, what did I do that made him run away? (laughs) Nope. Nah. fart. I didn't want it to be stinky. But also, if it does happen, if someone farts, just don't say anything. It's going to go away pretty quickly. But I don't know. If someone's ever like, oh, did you just fart? Be like, yes, I got 13 (laughs) more coming. Get ready. I just don't understand. And also, if you fart and it's loud, we should all laugh. Loud farts are just objectively funny. That's why whoopee cushions exist. If someone does a loud fart, let's just all laugh. They're funny. They're funny. They're funny. And they're, you know what? They're a level of, and you've changed my stance a little bit because they should mean that you're comfortable with the person you're farting in front of, I think. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's a little bit of love in every fart you let go. Right. It's a comfort thing. Maybe I got a little too comfortable farting around Kelly during the months slash years of lockdown. Maybe I need to relearn my farting societal cues. But I would rather live in a society where farting is not frowned upon. We all do it. You know, you don't shame someone for sneezing. Unless they sneeze into their hands or on you. or Like, that's a different thing. Well, see, yeah, it's the politeness again, though. It's, you know, you can sneeze. Just, you know, cover it up. Yeah, unfortunately, you can't, like, put your hand in front of your butt and then make it not smell. (laughs) Like, the best you can do is feel a fart coming on and leave the situation. But just like sneezes, sometimes farts come out of nowhere. Sometimes there's just nothing to be done. They do make, I don't know if they still do, but when I was in middle school, so around this time that these books were published, they do make underwear that filters out your fart. Like, it has a fart filter in them. And I always thought they were so funny. We just don't need that. We all do it. We all do it. Who cares? It'll smell for four seconds. Come on. (laughs) And if it smells longer than four seconds, let's all laugh about how bad it smells. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, this is a Percy Jackson podcast, clearly. Percy gets back up after tripping on the tripwire and he keeps running. Arrows whiz by him and he parries a knife attack from one hunter and just blows by the hunter. And then he sees Beckendorf and Nico chasing after Zoe, who has their flag. Not a good situation. And she just edges out Percy, so their team wins. And to add, I guess, injury to insult, she knocks into him in the process. And the hunters are declared the winners. I knew this was going to happen. And to make it even worse, so now to add insult to injury, Chiron adds that this is the 56th time in a row that the hunters have beat the campers that capture the flag and come on, this is your game camp, Half-Blood. How do you keep losing? Whew. Embarrassing. Super embarrassing levels of loss. Tragic, mm-hmm. one might say. Yeah. Thalia is absolutely livid. She says, Perseus Jackson. Hits him with the full name so you know she means business. Perseus Jackson, what in the name of the gods were you thinking? And not in italics. In all caps. A rare Rick Riordan move. Yep. All caps. She is bellowing in anger. Narrator Percy says, I balled my fists. I'd had enough bad stuff happen to me for one day. I didn't need this. So he yells at her, I got the flag, Thalia. And he shakes it in her face. I saw a chance and I took it. And Thalia says, I was at their base. Also in all caps, but the flag was gone. If you hadn't butted in, we would have won. And Percy says, you had too many on you. And Thalia goes, oh, so it's my fault. And Percy says, I didn't say that. And Thalia goes, ah. And then she pushes Percy, sending a shock 
through his body and sending Percy flying 10 feet away into the creek. And Thalia immediately turns pale and says sorry and that she didn't mean to do that, but Percy is just too upset to let it go. He summons a wave from the creek and crashes it into her, which instantly soaks her, and he stands up and growls, yeah, I didn't mean to either, which is such a jerk move, but is also awesome. Gah! So bad, so good. At the same time, hoofa doofa Percy Jackson. Chiron orders them to stop, but they decide to not stop. Thalia pulls out her spear and yells, you want some seaweed brain? And narrator Percy gets very upset because only Annabeth gets to call me this. Only my girlfriend can call me seaweed brain. <laughs> Percy replies, bring it on pinecone face, which is a terrible comeback. I, yeah, I don't Zero even know where that points. one, well, I do know where that one comes she from. Was Obviously, she tree. was a tree, I get it. But, but come on. Yeah, not good. There was other stuff he could have said. It's too similar to Seaweed Brain, so it's clearly just a bad plus one of the insult that's already been thrown your way. Yeah. Maybe we should workshop. I feel like because she went with Seaweed Brain, I feel like he should have made maybe some sort of lightning bolt yeah. joke. I felt like it should have been to her parent as well because it's a... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was such a big thing with the big three and it felt that was the cutting thing to bring up. Right. So maybe, uh, I don't know. Well, like, uh, see, maybe this is why he went with Pinecone. Yeah. Like maybe <laughs> Bolt Breath or something. You get a little bit of alliteration oh, in the mix. Bolt Breath is good. A little alliteration. Yeah. It's tough. I don't know that I would have been able to come up with something. Or if you're going to make fun of her for being a tree, maybe you don't try to come up with a clever name. But maybe you just say, bring it on, tree, like or tree girl, <laughs> like something that isn't trying to be quirky and fun and play on wordsy that sounds like seaweed brain. Maybe you just straight up drop everything and you just call her a tree. Yeah, I like that. I think you think you just call her a tree. Mm-hmm. Something's devastating, more devastating about that. Just call it what it is. Right. You don't need to add extra spice to it. It's already spicy. Percy raises Riptide, but before he can even defend himself, a blast of lightning comes down from the sky and it goes into Thalia's spear and she redirects it into Percy's chest. That's very cool. Very cool. Super duper cool. Percy's clothes are burning, but he gets up and he wills the entire creek to rise into a giant icy funnel cloud, but he stops suddenly before attacking Thalia with it. And the whole time Chiron is yelling at them to both stop. And I felt very (laughs) bad for Chiron. He felt very helpless in this moment. But he stops suddenly and everyone looks to see what Percy is looking at. And Chiron is in utter disbelief, saying, quote, she has never left the attic, so it's the Oracle, which is a wild situation that I did not see coming. It's the dead friend. Yeah. Dead friend comes to visit. Mm -hmm. She makes her way into the middle of the group. She lets out some mist, and everyone can hear her voice in their heads. She asks Zoe to approach and ask her her question. So Zoe asks, what must I do to help Artemis? And narrator Percy says, the oracle's mouth opened and green mist poured out. I saw the vague image of a mountain and a girl standing at the barren peak. It was Artemis, but she was wrapped in chains, fettered to the rocks. She was kneeling, her hands raised as if to fend off an attacker, and it looked like she was in pain. The oracle spoke. So here we go. It's prophecy time, which means prediction time. (laughs) Five shall go west to the goddess in chains. One shall be lost in the land without rain. The bane of Olympus shows the trail. Campers and hunters combined prevail. The titan's curse must one withstand, and one shall perish by a parent's hand. So let's go line by line with what I thought. First line, five shall go west to the goddess in chains. My initial guess, Percy, Thalia, Grover, Nico, Zoe, the five people we care about most so far. Next line, one shall be lost in the land without rain. I thought, okay, who do we care about the least? Zoe. Zoe's gone. Next line, the bane of Olympus shows the trail. So I thought, okay, maybe this is Luke slash Kronos have made themselves easy to follow. So it's not going to be that hard to see where Artemis is. Campers and hunters combined prevail. So then I realized, oh, okay, Zoe can't be the one that's lost. Or maybe if she is, we need another hunter. And then I realized, oh, it'd probably make more sense if it was not just one hunter. So I adjusted and thought it would be Percy, Thalia, Grover, Bianca, and Zoe. And then maybe still Zoe gets lost. So then Bianca is left. 
But also, it does say campers and hunters combined prevail. So if we are going with the two and three situation, maybe one of the three gets lost. I don't think it would be Percy because the book is named after him. I don't know that it would be Grover since he was lost in the last book. So I feel like if someone is going to be lost and it's not a hunter, my guess would be Thalia. But then the next line is, and one shall perish by a parent's hand. And that is probably not Percy because there are two more books. <laughs> I also don't think it would be Grover. I could see it being Thalia, but that would suck. That would really, really be a bummer if she was back in this book and then dead again. <laughs> or I guess she wasn't dead before, but she was a tree. But maybe, and this would also be really sad. I mean, anybody dying would be very sad. It would be sad. If Bianca is the one to go, if she's the one to die. But if you think about all the people here and who we care about the most, we certainly like Nico more than Bianca. And if we lose one of the two, not that I actually believe this, but in terms of YA books, like we saw this with Fred and George in Harry Potter. If you have siblings, it doesn't hurt as much when one of them goes. I don't think that's fair. <laughs> I'm just going by YA rules here. I know they're not twins, but we certainly like Nico more than Bianca. And I could see Bianca perishing by a parent's hand. If we learn that Bianca's parent is someone that's shifted over to Kronos' side, maybe they are kids of Ares and we know Ares is evil. So maybe that's what happens. So those are my initial guesses for all the stuff. I will keep my lips sealed, but uh, I've taken them in. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, the other guess I didn't have here is that the Titan's curse must one withstand. My guess here was it's whatever Hunter isn't lost if a hunter is lost. So I figured this would be either Zoe or Bianca. I would guess it would be Zoe. If I'm guessing Bianca dies, I'm going to say Zoe has to withstand the Titan's curse. Do I know what the Titan's curse is? No. Is it the title of the book? Yes. I do not know what's happening, but my guess is just Zoe. Okay. So there we are. That's what we got. We'll just have to see. But then the mist recedes. The Oracle sits on a rock by the creek and becomes perfectly still. And that's the end of chapter six. And I think we're going to do just a little bit of chapter seven because we have a little bit of time here. Not much, but we'll see as much as we can do. Let's do it. Chapter seven is called Everybody Hates Me But the Horse. My guess here was, I, it seems like everybody's mad at Percy except for Chiron. I mean, not a very hard guess for me, but I'll take <laughs> the wins. If someone leaves you with an open layup on the basketball court, you just take it and you don't ask any questions. <laughs> Grover and Percy are tasked with returning the Oracle, which doesn't go well because Percy whacks her head against a door at one point. Come on, Percy. <laughs> <laughs> Grover tries to distract Percy from his sadness by commenting on how gross that whole experience was, but Percy still feels down. He is sad that the whole camp will blame him for the capture of the flag loss. He's also upset that the Oracle wouldn't answer him, but apparently would walk half a mile to answer Zoe. Very Vanessa Carlton of the Oracle <laughs> to walk a thousand miles to, <laughs> to just answer whatever questions Zoe may have. It's almost like she has a purpose that isn't just to uh, serve Percy's needs. You know, she's not a play toy. She has purposes and you can't just ask her anything anytime. It has to be thematically relevant to the plot, Percy Jackson. Come, Come on. Percy. Not everyone's here to serve your narrative. Yeah. Get it together. Now, Percy is also annoyed that there was no mention of Annabeth at all in the prophecy. And this is, again, another, come on, Percy. She wasn't mentioned. But these things have to be intertwined. There's <laughs> no way that it's separate. How wild would it be if... Artemis was captured by just some other person. Just two people getting kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, just some other god has turned evil. It's like, oh, Kronos? Who? That guy? I thought that guy's dead. No, it's just me, Hephaestus. <laughs> what a fun twist that would be. <laughs> yeah, I've captured Artemis. Oh, there's another bad guy doing stuff? Oh, huh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Percy asks Grover what Chiron will do. And Grover says that he wishes he knew. And he wishes that he was out there. And Percy asks, so do you mean searching for Annabeth? And Grover goes, oh, right, that too, of course. <laughs> Which means that is not what he meant at all. And Percy is wise enough to pick up on this and asks, well, what did you mean, Grover? And he says it was something that the Manticore mentioned. When the Manticore mentioned the Great Stirring, it made Grover think, if ancient powers are waking up, maybe not all of them are evil. And Percy realizes, oh, you mean Pan. And Grover confirms. 
And then narrator Percy, an honest king, admits that he feels a little bit selfish for forgetting Grover's life ambition. And then he takes the next paragraph to explain to the reader why Grover would want to find Pan. What a sweet boy. A sweet boy. I like that he is aware of his shortcomings. You know, you got to just admit your mistakes. It's nice. Grover explains that he let the trail go cold and he feels restless as if he's missing something important. He feels that Pan has just got to be out there somewhere. Percy doesn't know what to say. And he has a hard time coming up with any sort of optimistic words of encouragement, given that he is very sad. And Thalia then storms upstairs and in a full cold shoulder move, tells Grover to tell Percy to, quote, get his butt downstairs. <laughs> Percy asks why. And Thalia then turns to Grover and asks, did he say something? And Grover relays, he asked why. <laughs> Thalia states that Mr. D is calling a council of cabin leaders to discuss the prophecy and, quote, unfortunately, Unfortunately, that includes Percy. My favorite teenage angst move is, did he say something? It's a, I mean, <laughs> as far as teenager moves go, it's a pretty good one. Cutting, cutting. They gather around a ping pong table. Mr. D summons cheese whiz, crackers, and bottles of wine that he has to change into Diet Coke when he is reminded that that's against the rules. So at the table, you've got Mr. D and Chiron. You've got Zoe and Bianca, and Bianca has kind of become Zoe's assistant. You have Thalia, Grover, and Percy, and then you have Beckendorf, Selena, and the Stoles. You have no Aries kids, however, because they all, quote, accidentally received broken limbs from the hunters. And this made me wonder, does Artemis have something against Aries? Is this a Greek beef that I need to talk to Dr. Moya about? Or were the hunters just happy to beat the crap out of some people? Yeah, maybe they were just having a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe they were just having a good time. We don't know, but I had a good time doing this episode. This is where we are going to pause it before we get into the discussion that's about to take place because we are running short on time and this discussion is quite lengthy and lots of stuff happens. So we wouldn't be able to talk about it just for a little. So it's probably <laughs> safer for us just to stop here, but I'm very intrigued to cover what happens next. But I had such a fun time covering this with you. Thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I had so much fun. Thanks so much. Yes, it was a blast. I would love to have you on later down the road, but if people enjoyed your voice, Marissa, where can they find you doing other voice-related things or anything else that you want to shout out? Such a good question. Well, you can listen to us chat um, if you enjoyed listening to us chat together on You Are What You Love, which is uh, new and should be available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find me on Twitter at Marissa Kumari, K-U-M-A-R-I. Mm -hmm. It was a very fun chat. We talked about how me seeing Bo Burnham on his first ever tour at a very tiny venue in Houston when I was in college kind of inspired me to also be a solo comedy act, if you will. <laughs> I am not under the delusion that I'm anywhere near the stratosphere of that man. But at <laughs> least me seeing his performance made me realize, oh, this is something I could do. And look, now I'm doing it. But I still perform to small venues, but I still like it. It's okay. I don't need to be a world-renowned, good-at-everything guy like Bo Burnham and also 6'5". Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's that's actually illegal last time I heard. So I think you have a better chance at getting through life safely. Yeah, we need to arrest Bo Burnham and Donald Glover for being good at everything. It's yeah. not fair. How are they both good at everything they do? It's not fair. <laughs> Uh, well, Marissa, thank you so much for joining. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, when we get to hear everybody be very grumpy in this meeting, I'll see you later. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the website and the social media. Our editor is Sherry Glow. The music is by Bettina Kampamanas and Brandon Grugel, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you're all caught up in the show and you simply cannot get enough, fear not, because there are multiple ways that you can get more TNO into your life. First, you can go to thenewstolympian.com slash Patreon and get access to all sorts of bonus content, from bonus episodes to director's commentary to physical merch like pins and stickers, and so much more. There's also TNO live shows. You can see if we're coming to a city near you or if we're doing a stream show, which we are in the very near future, if you go to the newstolympian.com slash live. And you can also find us on social media at newstolympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash the newest
champion. Huge, huge, huge thanks to all of our producer-level patrons, Lada Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Emma Cooey, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hauskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Tough Beifong, Moo Moo Productions, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Can't I See Weed Brain, Peter Johnson, The Twin, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Heather McMillan, Casey Williams, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Josh Sayer, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Colby, Marco Redhouse, Falcon Joey, James Christopher, William Boucher, Lux, Caden Max, Sam Sam Reby, Carly Allen, Riley Kitas, Mary Kelly, Audra McKenji, Mrs. O'Leary, Aaron Wood, Tyler Hendricks, Molly Snyder, Rodith Kalna, Milo Kim, Fred Cabras, Harlan Christ, Cece Reads 23, Sandkopf, Julia Kendall, ML Oscar Thomason, Noah Bundgaard, and Liz Cardigan. If you want to support the show in a non-monetary way, you can do so by getting the word out. You can talk about the show on social media, or you could think of someone that you know who would love this show. Maybe they're a big Percy Jackson fan. Maybe there's someone who's looking for that push to get them to begin reading the books. Whatever it is, if you recommend the show directly to someone, that would help so much. Or you could leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using. Anything really does help, and I appreciate anyone who has done this or decides to do so in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you listened to this episode, and I hope you tune into our next episode where we'll be finishing up Chapter 7 and discussing the beginning of Chapter 8 with return guest Sarah Barra. But until then, I will pursue you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. I'm recording this ASMR Mike segment from the guest bedroom in Johnny Frolicstein's mother's house, which is a very nice guest room. I'm very appreciative to have been given the guest room. And something that I am currently looking at is a big ballerina dance rack type thing with a bunch of empty hangers on it. And I'm just gonna kind of run my hand along the hangers like a big, silly wind chime of plastic. There was a wood one at the end, so you can kind of hear that. Hopefully that was an enjoyable audio experience. Thank you for listening.